0: The world we live in is an amazing one, full of passion, wonderment, and of course, fine wine. This is the story of one man's journey to fully understand and appreciate that world. So kick the tires and light the fires. It's time to ride between the wands.
1: It's Burgundian in style. Just a whisper of cherry. Very nice legs. This is so perfectly balanced. Such an old world style.
2: Is this lace with tobacco? A total fruit bomb. I say, so fancy!
1: (laughs) Howdy riders, and welcome to episode 11. I'm your host, Mike Wineguy, and this episode has so much in it. First, I was lucky enough to catch Chilean winemaker Diego Benavente, and we could chat about the state of Chilean wine, where it's going, and talk a little bit about his current endeavor, Tarapura. Afterwards, I was very fortunate to get College World Series MVP Scott Wingo on the phone with me for a very, very cool Take 5 segment. So buckle up and let's ride. So, uh, welcome back to Ride Between the Wines. Um, I'm in the car. This is actually the first podcast I've done where we've had four people in the car. So uh, I'll go around the room and introduce you real quick. Uh, we have my boss at RNDC, Kristen Lowe. Hello. Say hi. Hello. Hello. <laughs> uh, we have Jobin Johnson, uh, who is the sales rep for Quintessential for the Southeast. Say what up. What up? <laughs> and then finally, our actual guest is Diego Benevente, um, who is in town in South Carolina for exactly eight hours um, from Chile and he's actually the guest. And what's up, Diego? Hello. How are you? Doing fine. <laughs> um, so uh, Diego, to get started, I usually like people to just go ahead and tell me a little bit about their background and the wine business and how you got here.
2: Um, I started actually in, in college. I did uh, agricultural engineering. I don't know, something that exists down here. And then I specialized in, um, in viticultural and enology. Uh-huh. And then I started working as, as uh, you know, these flying winemakers going to do a harvest uh, for a couple of years around the world. I did in New Zealand, um, of course, Chile, uh, Europe, mm-hmm. uh, and then Napa. I came a couple of times to Napa. Um, and then I, I got. Uh, hired in Chile uh, for a, a winery called Matadich, where I worked for uh, three years as winemaker and mm-hmm. currently working as um, export director for, for the Americas. Okay. Um, after Matadich as winemaker, moved to another winery eventually ended up in Europe studying again did, doing a master's in business in, in Bordeaux and then I moved into sales basically. Okay.
1: And uh, what, was the, uh, what was the catalyst to move in sales? What, what about that
2: attracted you versus winemaking? Or... Um, to be honest, it was my frustration of not uh, of seeing that uh, more expensive categories of Chilean wine were not moving. At least uh, that's what I thought mm-hmm. was happening. And part of that, because the, the, the salesman at that time in Chile, I'm talking 15 years, 10 years ago, were not very well-versed with wine. They were just very good commercial people, uh-huh. but not wine people. So I thought you need somebody that understands wine in order to sell good wine, so. Right. Uh, but I did not know, I wasn't very much of a technician, didn't know, knew a lot of about sales and marketing, so that, that's why I decided to, to take my money and go and study somewhere. Uh, that you're surrounded by wine, but you you go into a commercial thing. Uh, but
1: your goal, marketing. your goal behind the business was always to come back and promulgate the idea of uh, of Chilean wine.
2: Yes, that was always my my goal.
1: Actually, uh, well, that's fantastic. So, how would you say um, how, how does Chilean wine stand on the the global scene, and and how has that changed? What direction is it going in? <clears throat>
2: Well, um, that is a very broad question, and really depends <laughs> on 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 where you are. Actually. Right. Uh, we're one of the leading categories in China, for example, uh-huh. right now. Uh, we're really big in China, and expensive Chilean wine um, is getting bought there. Uh, Europe is very stable in general, um, and slowly, slowly, we've gotten recognized there. Um, we're, we're, we're still facing the backlash of, of the big branded wines and uh, lower price tiers that we used to have mm-hmm. that we current, except if you're a huge winery, which are like a couple of them in, in Chile, you cannot uh, work on the lower lower price points any, any longer. Uh-huh. We don't have the margins to do that and, and a lot of places uh, local wine is covering that category thankfully uh not to give shit to spanish wine but they 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 have a really low price point that can cover right. certain price points that chilean wine struggling to cover so uh however we what happens that we, we we're not able to to sell as cheap but we're not very well positioned especially in the u.s uh uh-huh. and the uh, you know medium to upper tiers so that's the challenge we're we're facing now, and my job I, I cover the whole continent, both North and South America. But uh, I spend most of my time in the U. S. on this on the road, trying to you know work work at one restaurant at a time, uh-huh. one one shop at a time. Well, well, I, it's and, funny you say that
1: because you said you you're the sales rep for the Americas, and my initial next question was going to be how does Chilean wine Sell outside of Chile, but still in South America. And do Argentina? Uh,
2: well, well, we're very well. Uh, we have we're quite respected in South America uh-huh. uh, because of the proximity, the the, the, the link uh, with Chile. Chile, uh, f- uh, for better or worse, it's it's not like the hot, uh, you know, Argentinian, you know, crazy lifestyle kind of thing. But we're very uh, considered one of very stable country within uh-huh. the region. Um, very stable since many many years uh, which uh, help you know um, and um, and in Brazil we have a really close relationship with with Brazilians they come they do a lot of tourism in Chile and that helps a lot in, course. To, in order to propagate the, the concept of, of of Chilean wineries and and people actually do have an idea a clear vision of the country of, of the landscape of, of, of the people mm-hmm. that ultimately um, falls into to your willingness to buy to buy oh, I'm more sure. expensive yeah, wine. I it's like yeah. Why people would spend eighty bucks in an Italian wine is because they have an image of Italy. They have an image of the culture in Italy. Absolutely. And so it's all about you know the the, the picture you have in your head of that place. Finally, and so. Luckily, we're getting more and more tourism from 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 the U.S. Um, Chile has become a tourist spot we were not for many many years a tourist destination, uh-huh. and in the last ten years, um, it kind of like for one reason or the other, I don't know. That's like the, the tourism has increased dramatically, uh-huh. uh, especially for during the outdoors kind of... Yeah. Uh, well, I was going to say is, your, are your beaches quite cold? Very cold.
1: So. Yeah, okay. So, yeah, I can't imagine a lot of the tourism is is beach-related.
2: Yeah. Uh, it's not beach-related. It's We don't have tropical weather at all. It's right. just um, landscapes and, um, and different kind of, like, interesting sceneries, uh, wild life, uh-huh. sort of. But yeah. uh, Santiago is a fun city, good uh, Good. Good restaurants in there as well, so people go to Chile, spend two, three days in Santiago, get the best of the city, and then go into explore uh, whether the divine country or go to more of the extremes where can you know you do the hiking, um, you know, cold places in the south, uh, wide, uh, crazy deserts in the north, uh-huh. uh, salt flats and whatnot. No, uh, it's it's uh, it's. Uh, Geographically, it's very diverse and, 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 and you know, right, but not super spread out. You can do it mm-hmm. an, in a trip, so um, it's relatively safe. So, it, it, it has helped in order to bring more people in, and the more people in come with a better conception of, of, of the, the vine country, and, right. and, and the wines, and the food, and everything.
1: No. <laughs> um, I, I want to ask you a question that at breakfast you were addressing, but I think it's very interesting. Um, so if you don't mind repeating yourself. But um, I guess we didn't talk about Tera yet. yet. Um, so you talk about that a little bit, but also about how you've changed um, the growers that you've bought from and the relationship um,
2: that you were discussing earlier, because I think all that's terribly interesting. Okay, so um, Terrapuda nowadays is owned by Matti the Madadich family. Madadich family is the founder of Madadich uh, Vineyards, which is one of the leading organic and biodynamic uh, wineries in, in Chile. First and foremost, uh, one of the leading terroir driven wines in Chile as well. And uh, one of the leading, leading coastal appela- um, appellations uh, in the coastal appellations in Chile. Okay. Uh, actually, what we're Probably the first winery in the San Antonio appellation. Uh, there were vineyards before, but not exactly a, a winery there. So, uh, so we're kind of like in the, we pushed the envelope in, in many different ways, also with Syrah, mm-hmm. which became eventually our kind of like, we were recognized worldwide, if, if that could be a statement, <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, with, with Syrah. Uh, we our maple Cow is, is Sauvignon Blanc because of uh, price point is a little bit affordable, so we produce a lot of Sauvignon Blanc. Very good. Um, and a couple of years back, we we took over on another winery, and the family wanted to expand in the in the, uh, in the wine business. Uh, with Matadich, we could not grow. We would not. We would, well, were not willing also to compromise the project itself. Right. Mm-hmm. So we want to keep it intact. Um, as it is, and keep it uh, working on the positioning of the brand, but not 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 covering <clears throat> more volume actually. But we wanted to expand more in the in the wine business, so we bought, we took over another winery called Terrapura which was, was an existing winery, um, but with the we, we wanted to put the the, the one to. The stamp of the Matadich concept, right. family division, uh, in Traboul as well. Traboul is just a seller, it's not. Uh, uh, we don't have vineyards, uh-huh. so we source fruit from producers. And the main difference of what happened before and today is that back in the day, they were sourced um, to bigger producers, a uh, little bit more cor- corporative farms. Uh, uh-huh. And we changed that into having a big array of little producers um, that we can uh, give consultancy that they, you know, they, they produce themselves, they manage completely themselves the, the vineyard. Uh, and we help them with uh, improving techniques and uh-huh. making more efficient viticulture, trying to push them in sustainable uh, practices uh-huh. as well. And so, uh, and the only thing that we ask for is basically a long-term contract with them. Mm-hmm. So it's not just a spot sale, but uh, a long-term relation. Um, and you using. mentioned five, five years is usually uh, what their yeah contract it, time. It is. really depends. You can have ten years. Yeah. It really depends on, on on the particular decision at the moment. Uh, but mostly on their side on so the, so are they uh, um how
1: are they paid is as a five-year contract price for the grapes or does that change season to season
2: uh they they, they it, i'm not very well versed with with that there's a there's a there's a price and there's there's a premium um because of certain parameters okay uh, of quality and whatnot uh, uh, but yeah, but we we pay um, not upfront, but we like we pay on, um, on time, I guess. Yeah, a, a lot of a lot of big wineries play with with the payments. Uh-huh. They're shorting cash, and for us, and this is it can sound like bullshit, but it's <laughs> true. Uh, we we our. First and foremost, the people we pay are our providers of fruit. Right. Uh, so we want to have... That's great. We want to have a good relationship with them. And for them, of course, getting paid when it's due is really, really, really important. Um, so... Um,
3: yeah, yeah, that's so great. We, and uh, we, we, that's we, we, what we, I was we asking. We work yeah. on
2: that. And uh, If we need to push the payments of somebody, it's going to be the bottle provider, probably. <laughs> <laughs> um,
1: all right, well, I know that we're just out of, about out of time. Um, I did want to um, go to the phone line uh, and in a segment I call Mail Call. Shibuya,
2: Shibuya, Shibuya Mail Call.
3: Hey, Diego, Brian Hoke from Columbia here. And I was just wondering, Chilean wines have kind of had this identity, um, at least in, in my experience drinking them, of have high amounts of pyrazines and those green bell pepper flavors. I was wondering if, is that a style that winemakers are looking to enhance and play up on the global market, or are you experimenting with other newer, more uh, different forms of winemaking and different styles of wine?
2: Um, so I'm um, just... Just gonna be put a little bit of context. Um, the 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 most um, Chile is a is a country that is super influenced by the ocean, mm-hmm. so it does not get as warm as uh, probably places in the Central Valley in California mm-hmm. or in Argentina, for example. Um, Therefore, um, the type of fruit character you get is not super ripe, never. Right. And you're probably you're always going to have a herbal component in mm-hmm. that. If that people freaks about about that, good. With Carmenere, I understand more because it's a very pure scenic varietal. But with the rest, yes and no. Um, course if you only drink probably argentinian or domestic or, or or australian wine places with a lot of sun um you're gonna be felt pushed because of that but if you drink a lot of european wines uh-huh. um you won't be very surprised because all european wines ha- have a herbal character behind uh-huh. it uh, italian wines for sure and um French wines definitely so um, and we do not get that comment in Europe right because they're pr- probably more used to that aromatic mm-hmm. palate um, so it's, it's, it's about what you're probably grew up drinking right uh, so and and yeah so th- that's one thing there's other co- there's other reasons as well Be- just taking that out of the equation, there's a uh, uh, other couple of reasons. Carmenet, yes, super green, mm-hmm. going into the, the controversial varietal, <laughs> and it's not meant to be grown anywhere. You need a very warm place uh, with a, a type of soil that is not uber clayish, basically. base uh-huh. tend to give you more vigor and vigor translating more green character. Mm-hmm. So, you want uh, controlled vigor in your Carmenere and you want heat. Okay. So, you need to find those places where you have a lot of heat. And, um, and because Chile is not super warm as people think, right. uh, there's only a few places that you should buy your Air from. And you want to buy your Carmenere from either Cochagua Valley, Rapel Valley, and Cachapoal. It's the safest bet okay if you go a bit out of that it can be good mm-hmm. uh, but you might fall into the green side In these other places it's always gonna be very warm mm-hmm. normally and therefore the penicillinic character that is burned because of the light and heat uh, it's gonna blow away it's gonna turn into a more tobacco character and therefore the blue fruit of natural fruit of the carmenet is gonna shine right okay
1: so your terra pura is calchawa of the one chawa. you listed okay yes. just ask
2: okay and uh, finally also has to do with irrigation techniques uh-huh. if you stressed in Chile you used to stress because of the influence of the French a lot the vine in order to have concentration right but if you stress the vine you stop ripening The tannins and the aromas. In the vine you're just accumulating sugar basically. So, um, irrigation techniques in the places we do irrigate is very important in order to have a healthy vine that keeps the metabolism and doesn't shut down. And if you shut down then you're going to be overripe and green at the same time. Uh, But if your vine keeps on working we're going to have beautiful fruit and low green character so that's something that we have learned uh, within the last 20 years as well
1: yeah. well that's a great answer thank you very much for that no, no and and here we are at the account so thank you everybody thank you Kristen, for the first podcast where i haven't Hi. had to drive <laughs> <Diego>. <laughs> uh thanks jobin diego. for bringing diego and diego Iraq. thanks yeah. man thank you man It was so exciting to get a chat with Diego for just a few minutes. Now it's time for something also very exciting. I'm going to call Scott Wingo. Scott was a second baseman for USC, helping to win not only the college's first national championship, but back-to-back national championships. So let's give him a call in my favorite segment. Tick five. Tick five. Tick five.
3: Tick five.
0: Hey, Mike. Scott, how you doing? Good, how are you?
3: I'm doing awesome, man. Thanks for taking a couple minutes to be on my podcast.
0: Oh, thanks for having me, man. I'm excited, man.
3: Uh, I'm very excited. Um, Well, let's just jump right in. So it's called Take 5, so I'm going to just throw five questions at you. And uh, and so here we go. You ready? Let's do it. Awesome. All right. So question number one, multiple choice. So in case people out there don't know who you are, this question will get us started right. So Mm -hmm. here are your options. Are you more famous for A? getting a walk that enabled you to score the winning run for our first national championship B starting the double play that helped us beat Florida for our second national championship or C setting the record for getting hit by the pitch more than any other Gamecock ever. Man, this, I have to answer this? this. is incredible. What a,
0: what a freak, what a start to the, the show. Uh, <laughs> um, you know what I have to say if we don't get a walk there you may not have any of the other well I guess I started <laughs> hit my pitches but you gotta say the walk <laughs> gotta
3: say the walk I think I would agree with you on that that's fantastic
0: um, <laughs> that's awesome though
3: but speaking of getting hit by pitches let's let's go to my second one that's a good segue so where is the best place to get hit by a pitch I feel like you would know
0: Oh, it's it's the easiest answer you could have – or easiest question you could you could have asked me tonight. Uh huh. Right in the old buttocks. Is that right? Oh yeah, does you know? It's, hopefully you know most people have a little bit more padding on that area. <laughs> and uh, if that, or if you have an elbow guard, if you obviously if you have a shield on or something like that, but easy that's easy right there. Right in the uh, right well, in the old backside.
3: Not officially a question, but just a, a follow-up. Where's the worst place?
0: Oh, worst place is either um, I've been hit on the the spine hurts, but I thought the uh, the let's see, the rib cage was pretty bad. Oof! Um, Gosh! What was really bad? Uh, in the, right in the back of your back on your shoulder blade. Uh huh. That's tough. Is that and obviously one? like a like a bone on your knee, like a uh, ankle? I mean, Anything sticking out, that's, I'm telling you, anything sticking (laughs) out. That doesn't have have a little meat on it, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) All right. Um,
3: Question number three. All right. Here's your scenario. It's a perfect day. It's sunny but not uncomfortable. There's clear blue skies. You're sitting with friends and family at the ballpark. There's popcorn and cracker jacks aplenty. Mascots are entertaining and full life. You're enjoying the game. So what refreshing beverage is in your glass?
0: Oh man. That's tough. <laughs> because here's 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 why. You know, my dad has always drank sweet tea or coke. huh. And I'm huge sweet tea guy. But if I'm in a ballpark, you know, uh uh-huh. it it's probably not it's used to be coke, but I'm you know, I'm gonna have a, a cold I'm gonna have a cold frosty, to be honest. You're gonna Honestly, have a I, cold I, one, I, I don't yeah. Know, I don't know what that would be. You
3: know? Well no, nothing nothing intense, just a nice cold, refreshing beer of some sort.
0: Right. Yeah. Right.
3: I think I'm with you on that. That's exactly that's where my head goes too.
0: Yeah.
3: Um question number four. Now this one you might it's kind of a sinker here. So uh let's it's kind of a stumper. Let's see if you can remember this. Okay. So who was voted the most outstanding player of the two thousand eleven College World Series? Any way that you would possibly know who that is?
0: Hey, let me give me a second. Now. Was it Jackie? No, that was ten. But no, that's that's a good one. Yeah, I i, no,
3: it's, that's definitely, I was fortunate
0: enough to win that bad boy, but I mean well, you earned literally it. you could have picked five or six guys that could have won that one.
3: I love that. That's that's the best that's the best spirit answer you possibly could have for that. Um but congrats eight years later. Um <laughs> <laughs> Uh and then uh, number five, now here's the actual number five is also always my actual stumper question. So uh, let's see what you can do with this. So okay. in the 1993 classic, The Sandlot, what was the name of the dog next door? Now I'll tell you, it belonged to James Earl Jones' character, Mr. Murty, um, Mr. Myrtle, and the kids all referred to him as Beast. But what was the dog's actual name?
0: I'm, I'm 90% sure I know this. All right. If you got to, if you don't, you're killing me, Smalls. Hercules. Hercules
3: is exactly right. Congratulations.
0: Yeah. <laughs> you you live
3: up to the legend, sir. I love it.
0: I love it. Hey, <laughs> I've watched that a thousand times. So if I missed that, I would have I would have gotten some riffraff for that. I mean, been, <laughs> that's that's you know. that's a classic.
3: Um, <laughs> I was between that and the Angels in the outfield question. Did I go the right direction Was Sandlot the way I should have gone? Yeah,
0: oh, hey, you would have probably got me there if you were yeah? Angels in outfield.
3: Oof, I was lucky. Well, um, Scott, uh, thank you so much for, for giving me five minutes out of your day. Very much appreciated. And, uh, and yeah, thanks, man.
0: Hey, Mike, anytime you uh, shoot, anytime you want to have me on, I'd love to come on and shoot.
3: Well, I love it's it. Awesome. We will do it more often then.
0: Awesome. Sounds right. good, man. Take care, Scott. All right, you too. Thanks, Scott.
1: Bye. Well, folks, that's all. Check back next week when I have a Psalm in the car and we talk about doing psalm things on the way to learn even more about being a psalm from a master psalm. It should really be psalm thing. Sorry, head to. Thanks very much to Diego Benavente, Scott Wingo, and of course to everyone out there for listening. See you next week, and until then, chin-chin. <laughs>